Morning, welcome to this video. Um, glad to have you with us. Uh, this is the first in a series of videos that we're going to be doing with myself and my colleague Luke um, discussing various cases uh, in the hope that those watching them, uh, these videos can um, get something from it, find something useful and understand some of the, the important case law in relation to actions against the police or complaints against the police or indeed anything to do with the Independent Police Complaints Commission. So, the first uh, of these videos is going to look at a case of Hamilton in the European Court of Human Rights, which uh, I was lucky enough to, uh, to run and, and to represent Mr. Hamilton. Uh, and so I'm going to hand myself over uh, at my own personal risk to Luke, who's going to be asking me some questions about the case. Um, and as I say, our hope is that over the next um, 20 or 30 minutes, uh, in, in me answering some of Luke's questions, uh, you'll get a good feel for the case, what it was about, and a good understanding of what it all means and the impact uh, that, it, uh, that it does have, or could have had, ha uh, had things uh, gone differently. So, Luke, what would you but, like to know? Firstly, my name's Luke Cowles, I'm a solicitor at Gar Nicholas, and I've been working at, uh, in the Police Actions Department for four years, looking at complaints and compensation claims against the police. So, first off, Andrew, what's the general context of this case? How did it come about? Well, um, Mr. Hamilton, was involved in um, an acrimonious divorce. Um, the financial side of things had been sorted, but there was still an aspect of, of um, contact with his daughter that remained uh, relevant to the court proceedings. And so he came before a judge, Mr Justice Collins, um, on this particular day, and Mr Justice Collins attempted to deal with two separate issues. One was his committal to prison, he was accused of breaching a number of injunctions that had been put against put, um, that had been put against him in the same proceedings, not to contact his um, soon-to-be or actual then ex-wife, and, and not to contact the daughter and things of that nature. Um, and he was accused of breaching those, including going around the house and phoning up and making a bit of a nuisance of himself. Um, at the same time, and during the same hearing, that Mr. Justice Collins tried to also deal with the question of contact. So, firstly, you've got committal to prison, should he go to prison for breaching the injunction, and secondly, you've got um, this question of contact. So, taking those two issues, firstly, what was the, the main issue that they should have dealt with, and was there a problem with them dealing both at once? Dealing with them both at the same time was the fundamental problem that the court was, or the fundamental mischief, if you want to use some sort of legal phraseology. Um, that perhaps sort of like encapsulate it a bit better than, than just talking about problems. Um, but in relation to the contact with his daughter, he wanted and needed to say something to advance his case, to, to argue for contact with his daughter. But at the same time, because it was all dealt with as one big collection of questions, as, as it were, he was also having questions put to him um, by her solicitors and by the judge in relation to these alleged breaches. Now, in one sense, so the contact side of things is sort of like a civil matter, um, for which you can't go to court, or can't go to prison or get into trouble or anything like that, whereas completely separately, but being dealt with at the same time, are effectively criminal allegations, in relation to which he had a right to legal representation, he also had a right to silence, in relation to that criminal aspect of things. And, and the judge was trying to deal with them at the same time. Um, I mean, later on, which we'll probably come to as we discuss this case a bit more in a bit more depth, the, the Court of Appeal, where he ended up later on in this country, said that trying to deal with those two things at the same time put Mr. Hamilton in, and I quote them, an impossible position 
that you wanted to talk about something, but again, yet, you know, may, maybe it may have incriminated himself in relation to another aspect of the same hearing. So to clarify, it's fair to say the judge could have dealt with it separately at a separate time on a different day. The judge also knew on the day that he had, um, he, he was there unrepresented, another very, very important factor. And he was unrepresented because he had lost his legal aid. And he had lost his legal aid because the financial part of the divorce had just been settled. So he'd had some money out of that settlement. And that disentitled him to legal aid. Um, but that that um, cancellation of his of his legal aid funding was something which was under review. He'd appealed it, um, and the judge knew that it was under appeal at the time. So he should really have adjourned to allow the appeal to be sorted, um, to allow him the opportunity to come back with proper legal representation. What was the actual outcome? Well, the outcome was that he was found to have breached the injunctions. I think he, he was, if I remember rightly, he was accused of nine separate breaches. I think he was found guilty in, in, in um, criminal terms of breaching every single one, um, and he was sent to prison, where in total he served six and a half weeks in prison until he came out, and it was only after he came out that he then um, appealed sort of retrospectively against the sentence and what happened on that occasion. He was very unhappy, understandably, about what had happened to him. Um, so, so in terms of the appeal, you, you mentioned he appealed. What, what happened at the appeal? Did they agree with him or did they dismiss it? Yeah, absolutely. The, 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 the appeal was um, a procedure where he went to the Court of Appeal and the Court of Appeal were extremely concerned about what had happened. Um, he had some very good legal representation at the time, not us, another firm of, of solicitors, who um, helped him establish in the Court of Appeal that his Article 6 rights, his right to a fair trial, the trial effectively being what happened to him on the day when this issue of contact and, and breaches of the injunction um, were determined by Mr Justice Collins. Um, uh, and so they found that a breach. They said that the procedure followed by Justice Collins on the day had been facially flawed, that he had been entitled to legal representation in relation to the criminal aspect of what was put to him, um, and also found that... Um, and this, this, this is the, the aspect of it that I think would really have um, upset Mr. Hamilton, is that he denied two of the breaches. One of the most serious, in fact, I think from, from memory, I think the most serious breach he was accused of was going to the, his ex-wife's father's house and banging on the door and making a nuisance of himself. Um, he flatly denied that. And before getting to the Court of Appeal, when he did have legal aid, he did have solicitors, uh, they were able to establish that the, that the father-in-law had given a statement to the police, just flatly denying that this ever happened. And yet, because he didn't have representation, because of that sort of investigation hadn't been undertaken, because he didn't have lawyers to do it for him, and he didn't even have the time to get it done because the, the proceeding wasn't adjourned, um, the Court of Appeal rightly and understandably concluded that had he had legal representation, as he should have had at the time, to, to um, help him um, rebut some of these allegations against him, it is inevitable, they felt, that this sort of um, disparity or, or problem in the evidence would have been thrown up, it would have been understood by the court. Did, did they give any indication what would have happened in the alternative, had he had representation? Yeah, they, they, would he have gone to prison anyway? They, they, found, that, they, they found that he would have still gone to prison for breaches, some of the breaches which he openly accepted. Um, but the far more uh, serious breaches that I've just described, um, the one where there was clear evidence that he didn't do what he was accused of doing by his ex-wife, um, 
that, uh, that that undoubtedly would have been found in his favour. And so their conclusion in terms of the actual time served in prison is that he would likely have still gone to prison but only served a week instead of six and a half weeks. So quite a difference. Quite a difference. Yeah, quite a, quite a big difference. So once he's gone to the Court of Appeal, they've agreed with him and said that potentially you may have only served a week had you had legal representation at the time. What did he do next? Well, he then asks those solicitors, well, what can I do? I want some compensation. And they quite rightly um, say, well, it's, you know, it's, a, it's akin to a false imprisonment claim, and they, they identified us as a firm of solicitors who deal with police actions and compensation claims and, and, and things of that nature. So Mr. Hamilton was referred by his solicitor in this other firm to me. Um, and then um, I, with the help of um, very, very able barrister Chris Gledhill, I've known for many years, um, and he still helps us, he, um, he came in to help me bring that claim in the High Court. And, and did you win, ultimately? Did he get his compensation? No, he didn't. Um, what happened uh, in the High Court is that we alleged that there had been a breach of Article 6, and we knew we were on fairly solid ground in relation to establishing that because the Court of Appeal had confirmed that there had been an Article 6 breach. Um, so we, we argued that. We also argued that there had been a breach of Article 5, Minus, what's Article 5? Article 5 is the um, right to liberty. Um, and under Article 5, you can only have your liberty taken away from you um, via a procedure prescribed by law. So if there is a legal procedure, like a criminal sentencing procedure or something along those lines, um, which is a procedure in this country that um, sets out steps that need to be gone through and, and procedural safeguards that have to be put into place before you can deprive someone of their liberty, you know, like you've got to go to trial, you've got to have legal representation, and all these sorts of things in criminal procedure. Um, all those have to be in place, for, um, and if they're not in place or not followed correctly, then Article 5 might be breached. So, um, he, what, when he went and got his compensation, he couldn't get it in the UK, off he goes to the European Court of Human Rights. What, what, what's the view that they take? Okay, um, well to, to explain what they, what, what view they took, probably best just to stick a little bit longer with, with what happened in the High Court. Okay. So, so what happened in the High Court was that we argued that there had been these breaches. Um, we initially feared that the government solicitors who we were up against were, were going to argue that Article 5 wasn't even engaged, it just wasn't something that the court could look at because it just wasn't relevant. Um, thankfully the court agreed that Article 5 was relevant. Um, and the reason why that is so fundamentally important is that, uh, and this, this is one of the key issues that this case touches upon, um, is that to all intents and purposes, judges in this country are immune from suit. You can't sue judges, and that's exactly, effectively, what we were trying to do, was to sue uh, Her Majesty's Court Service for the actions of, of um, Justice Collins during so the hearing. Blaming the judge, saying... Blaming the judge, saying he got it so wrong, he got it so wrong that, that, that we should get some damages. Now, um, the Human Rights Act sets out explicitly the circumstances in which you can get damages against a judge or Her Majesty's Court Service for a judicial act. And it says that it, 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 you can only get damages if that judicial act is in bad faith. In other words, they deliberately did something, but we had no evidence to suggest that. As in, in this case, he may, the judge may not have followed the procedure correctly, but that wasn't out of malice. It wasn't out of absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so we, we were never going to establish malice, so that, that option was, was not there for us. 
the other option, and the only other option it says, um, or the only other set of circumstances it gives for why you might get damages, is, it, is if it, damages are required by Article 5.5. Now, Article 5.5 says that damages um, uh, must be awarded, in, in, in essence, where there has been a breach of Article 5. So that's why we were looking at Article 5 so, so carefully in, in the High Court here. So that would have been your route to obtain compensation? Yes, yeah, it was our route round the back of this immunity from suit um, that judges have in this country. Um, so moving on to, to answer your question, when we got to Europe, Europe, of course, aren't constrained by the Human Rights Act. So they don't have the Human Rights Act saying, well, you can only give damages for a judicial act if it's in bad faith or in or required by Article 5.5. So to, do, to, to a degree that they are more free to actually make a decision Absolutely. about all the matters rather yeah. than being constrained by domestic law in this yeah. case. So again, perhaps not surprisingly, because it was um, the High Court here agreed there had been an Article 6 breach, the Court of Appeal in the family proceedings prior to our compensation claim in the High Court had also agreed there had been an Article 6 breach. It's not surprising that they also found an Article 6 breach. So up until now, he's got the declarations of a breach, but he hasn't actually obtained compensation Correct. for that breach. Yeah, he couldn't get the money in this, in this country because the Human Rights Act says he couldn't. And the High Court didn't find an Article 5 breach. So, and as a result, he was never going to get money in this country. Um, so yes, they found the Article 6 breach. Um, and they gave him compensation for the Article 6 breach, something which he couldn't get in this country. How much did he get? He received €8,400. Okay. Right, so it's about six, six and a half thousand pounds. Um, and they award, and the, the judge in the High Court in this country had indicated that had he awarded damages, that six and a half thousand pounds would have been what he would have given for the extra five and a half weeks that he spent. Okay. So it's a similar amount, so they whether that. it would have been UK or here. Yeah. Um, in terms of the Article 6, he got compensation for that. What happened in regards to Article 5? Well, the Article 5, um, we lost, but we only lost by four votes to three. So on this... Um, Just to clarify, that's four judges that basically said, no, you can't have compensation. Three said, yes, you can. So there was a split decision between... Yeah, yeah, yeah. so four judges say, say we, we do not find that Article 5 is breached. Um, and three judges felt that Article Five had been breached. Quite tight. It, it was a it was a tight it was a tight decision. I mean, from Mr. Hamilton's point of view, it's somewhat academic whether they found an Article Five breach or an Article Five and an Article Six breach, or as they did just an Article Six breach. The reality is, is that he was going to get compensated for the extra five and a half weeks. Okay. So he would have got the same amount in damages whether yeah. it was five and six or six alone. Yeah, it's it's just a shame from. Um, the points of view of other potential claimants in the future, and an academic shame from our point of view as lawyers, they didn't find that Article 5 breach. Because had they found an Article 5 breach, um, had we just had one judge come to the other side and been 4-3 in our favour, this case of Hamilton would now be a European Court authority for the, 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 the type of circumstances that breach Article 5, which therefore give people in this country the right to say, well, look at Hamilton, there was an Article 5 breach as a result of a judicial act in Hamilton, therefore we think our case is similar to that, therefore we should be able to get damages notwithstanding the, the requirements in the um, Human Rights Act. So it would be, it would be sort of like a, an authority that could be ported across into this country and used by other claimants to say, well, we also say ours is similar to Hamilton, we also have an Article 5 breach and therefore give us damages under the Human Rights Act. Just to tail it off in regards to that particular issue, 
he also sued under Article 13, which was a new cause of action yeah. that he'd only brought since going to the European Court. What exactly was the point of that? Well, Article 13 um, deals with, um, it is what is breached if you cannot get a rem an appropriate remedy in this country. So as I say, because the Human Rights Act only allows damages where there's a um, bad faith or, or, or a breach of Article 5 and therefore damages required by 5.5, he effectively couldn't get any money in this country. And so that our domestic law denying him damages in circumstances where the European Court quite rightly identified he had to get damages for what happened. You shouldn't spend five and a half weeks in prison unnecessarily and not be awarded some compensation. Um, they also found, therefore, a breach of Article 13 for the domestic law failing to afford him damages or compensation in that circumstance. So yes, they found a, they found a breach of of 6 and 13 as a result of his failure to get any money in this country. So now he got his compensation, um, you, obviously you won the Article 6, you lost the Article 5. What happens next? Is that, is that it? Well, no. Um, where we are at the moment is that the government, effectively the European Court, have ordered the, gov the British government to pay his €8,400 and also €6,000 costs on top. Um, and the European government now have a have a, period, a window of three months from the date that the judgment was um, published to take a decision as to whether or not they want to appeal the decision. Um, they could appeal the finding uh, or the amount of damages or, 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 or the finding of a breach. Highly unlikely they're going to um, want to appeal the um, finding of a breach because everyone seems to agree and it's difficult to argue that it wasn't an Article 6 breach. Uh, had they found the Article 5 breach then perhaps the government would have been more minded to appeal but it's, it's in, their, it's in um, their court at the moment. We're waiting to, to see what, what, if anything, they do. But at the moment, the expectation is they probably won't on balance. I would be surprised if they do, but uh, that's a matter for them. They might have considerations that, are, that, you know, just, that aren't, aren't ones that, that occur to me. But certainly from our point of view, from Mr Hamilton's point of view, um, as we discussed earlier, he was going to get the same amount of damages for those five and a half weeks in prison, whether there was a just a six breach found or a six and a five breach found. So going forward on, on uh, appeal to the Grand Chamber of the European Court doesn't really do him much good in terms of, you know, he's not he going to get, get anything extra. He won't get anything extra and there's always a danger that he might get less or spend money in costs trying to get it up, you know, pursue, get, it pursue it further. So um, so this is probably as probably as far as the case is going to go, and, and it's largely done and dusted from from that perspective. Pending what the government chooses. Yeah, we're still waiting to see. We're, wait, we're waiting for that um, check to appear on the uh, in, the, in the post, and hopefully I can pass that on to Stanton. Well, thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much. Any queries, you can call myself or any of my colleagues for a free chat. Alternatively, have a look at any of the other videos on this website, which might be of some use. Thank you very thank much you. for joining us. This video is designed to be a brief introduction to the topic that it covers and we hope you found it useful. It aims to be informative and to assist people to take the next step in solving the legal problem that they may have. This video does not constitute legal advice and does not seek to solve specific legal issues. If you have a specific legal problem that you need solved, you should take expert legal advice from a solicitor.